Welcome to The Art of You, an artistic approach to crafting a meaningful life. Hosted by Joel Judowitz and Ethan Davidson. We're going to hop back into the uh, Shiri Das in a couple mm-hmm. minutes from Rabbi Bloch. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about a couple different things here, interesting ideas. And... Uh, two topics we've actually been discussing: um, <laughs> Indian reservations and right. uh, safaria. Right. Uh, safaria. What's safaria? A, safaria. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's actually some commonality there. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to the Indian reservations for a mm-hmm. second, because mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to you about this film I saw a while ago uh, with, uh, you know, a person who lives on a reservation and yeah. becomes involved with the Indians, and you right. said you've actually known such actual experiences. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about why. The uh, the culture today on the reservations does not seem to be doing well. A lot of right. them are are suffering. A lot of them are sure uh, not sure. doing well financially, yeah. emotionally, socially. Absolutely. And it's an interesting case study, you know, comparative case study. Yeah. Not to say, oh, we're great, and they're not. That's not no, the point right, at all. Sure. But the idea of understanding uh, the value of culture yeah. to a group, yeah. how yeah. it defines a group, absolutely. And if it gets deeper than culture, and understanding over years. I think part of it is also where the culture is tied to. So mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. Indians, it was very much tied to the land, to their sure. way of life. Yeah. And you take that out, you're sort missing like the Neshama. Jew- sort of like the Jews. Sort of like the Jews. <laughs> yeah, but sort of, but not in a way, because but the Jews' yeah. relationship to Israel, which right. is our land, um, you know, we did manage for many thousands of years yeah. without that. Right, absolutely. You know, that relationship may be in our hearts, but not in actuality. Right. Uh, so I think the question becomes... It's really one of identity, you mm-hmm. know. So where is your identity tied to? Mm. If your identity mm. is tied to your way of life and your way of life is tied to your land, yeah. remove the land, remove the way of life, your identity right. dissipates. Right. And then if you don't have an identity, your ident- then, you, yeah. then you're left with nothing. Then right. You, right. Then you exactly. end up where, yeah. where yeah. that is. It's amazing when you think about it because like so many cultures and not just, I think... Um, Native American cultures, but, you know, really cultures all over the world, when they become displaced, okay, right? And more often than not, they lose, you know, eventually they can lose their culture, they can lose their language, they lose their traditions. And then, and that basically happens all, you know, throughout history. But then you look at the Jews. Okay, so why? Right. So why, so why did the Jews? It's, yeah. an, it's unusual, right? There's, right. It's like, and... Set aside the set aside the divine mission part of it for mm-hmm. for a moment because I to me and I, I think you probably agree with me that's really the right. secret sauce. Sure. But the um, but set that aside for a moment. You know somehow even though the Jews got exiled from their land for you know we, we were kick, kicked out of there for two thousand years uh, we didn't disappear right right and. Um, and it's interesting now because you see, like so many Jews in this country, we do worry about assimilation and we worry about Jews not being Jewishly literate. But somehow, even a lot of the Jews in this country that are not, you know, observant and whatever, they still, if you say, "Are you proud to be Jewish?" Sure, ninety percent of them will tell you, mm-hmm. "Absolutely." Right. So there's some kind of there's something there's in there. something in there that they right. feel they're never they're not going to give that up, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe they have, you know, some of the traditions they do or some of the don't. And they certainly have the, the text if they care to open it. Right. Um, somehow we've managed to hang on to all those things. We were talking earlier that if you, if you were to lay a bet 
um, 3,000 years ago oh, right. and say, yeah. who's going <laughs> to, yeah. which of these cultures is going to survive? Yeah. You'd say, well, it's going to be the Babylonians, the Hittites, you right. know, the Persians. You would say that the Jews... I mean, this, this is like small like little the, people. We're like There's the no Milwaukee way. Brewers, basically. Yeah, the Milwaukee Brewers. They're, uh, never, more, they're right. never gonna in, right. in 2019. They're right. not gonna. The, the Jews aren't gonna be there. Are you yeah, kidding it's me? Not <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, what happened to all these other people? So I think it's like uh, we hung on to this culture, and then you have to go back to. I mean, it's such an unusual thing to have happened. The only thing that you can say. Okay, maybe the divine mission that the Jews are on. What if that is real? Right. <laughs> right. right. That's the ultimate. How else do you explain it? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the Babylonians had books. Sure. The Babylonians had a religion. They had gods, whatever. They had an amazing culture. Right. They couldn't hang on to it. Yeah. They were way more sophisticated than we were. You know? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely in there. Yeah. You know? And definitely, you know, the sophistication of what they built up and the numbers and all the rest right. of it exactly so so to me you have, also, you have to say divine mission then i think you have to say that you have to come down to that you're yeah. saying there's no natural explanation there's, no, for there's any no natural explanation but what i think about also you say divine mission and that's true but it mm-hmm. manifested itself in a specific way because we do have the text that you talk about right. getting the torah yeah and the are natural you know, you can you can see you can see mm-hmm. things that came out of there. So there is the Jewish neshama right. that comes out. You could speak to someone who's really unaffiliated. Sure. But inside there, there's an identity and there's a source Absolutely. of pride that's saying identified whatever I know about the Jewish people. I might not know all that much. Sure. But I know this is something to be proud of and something unique and yeah. something special and something maybe worth fighting for on exactly. some level. I know there's something to it. And sometimes yeah. it it's sometimes the opposite. You know. I know it's there and it bothers me, and maybe I don't want to identify, but I know I have to deal with it. I know right. it's something important, right. even if you know I might make the decision I want to identify. I don't, mm-hmm. but I know it's something that has to be dealt with. For sure, and important in my life For at sure. some point. And even if I ignore it, it's still going to bother me. And yeah. someone's going to bother me about <laughs> exactly. it. One of the two. Exactly. At some point, it's going to come up. And, yeah. you know, for better or worse, unfortunately, over the last, you know, 100 years, it mm-hmm. comes up in very big ways. Absolutely. Whether we want to ignore it or not, it's there and it's a very important thing. For sure. So just studying it that way, I think a little bit about the difference between identity and culture. Like, mm-hmm. where does identity come from? Does mm. identity come from a culture? Mm. Because mm. the Jews are culturally diverse as yeah, well. Sure. They come from many different For Middle sure. Eastern cultures, European sure. cultures. Sure. We have certain common denominators. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you think of identity maybe in terms of a belief system. You know, mm-hmm. is it the common belief system that's the unique. Like, well, we're, yeah. there are different parts that make up an identity. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and and maybe the Babylonians, their their culture was very strong, mm-hmm. and you know, practically speaking, that was strong. But is it is it your values? Like, yeah. like what is the most essential, lasting part right. of an identity? Is it culture? Right. Is it values? Is it all of the above? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think it comes down to values more mm-hmm. than culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the question then is, you know, are your values tied? To your culture are your values mm-hmm. tied to a way of life right is it a is it a value of convenience that's really yeah. going to be the test right because when your way of life dissipates and another culture takes over yeah so their values come in because sure. it was more a matter of this was working for everybody but yeah. you know now the romans are in town okay let's yeah. vote you know let's, let's get romans. a let's, right let's <laughs> get a senate then yeah right. before now we were you know exactly. barbarians right. lopping off heads that was working for us right, right. Now let's, you know let's give this a whirl <laughs> yeah because yeah. there's nothing really your your values are tied to mm. convenience rather than saying, 
our values are tied to something bigger, a larger mission right. that's right. you know that's worth fighting for, worth dying for, and I think more importantly, worth living for. Sure. So sure. so. Uh, well, I, I think, think that's, that's a strong part of it. I think that's I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. But and yet the the Jews somehow didn't say let's pick up some other values now that the Romans are in town or the Greeks are in town. Right. Some I mean of course some some did. Some did. Some did. For some sure. did. But, but as um, a whole, as a whole Yeah, but not everybody. Right. And there's um, a core that would not that yeah. would not accept that. I mean if you think about it it's really like, you know, I don't know what how else to say it, but the fact that in 2019 in Oak Park, Michigan, you know, thousands of miles and thousands of years removed from the temple, you know, or from, you know, Babylon or from, you know, Alexandria or from Rome. Um, A couple of Jews are sitting here talking about it. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Right, right. You know, we, 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 uh, had the opportunity to get absorbed into every culture we, we met Mm -hmm. and, and of course, as you say, some did. Right, some did. But not everybody. But not as a whole, not the essence, not, not the core. Right. And I think the, the test of that is maybe how, how deeply are your values in sync with your soul, with your neshama. Right. When we start to talk about a little bit about the divine mission. So there yeah. is a divine spark, and I believe that's a divine spark in everybody. Sure. And if your values are so deep... Mm-hmm. So then you have these reoccurring tests of, and that's really what Golis Exile is all about. It's yeah. a constant reiteration over and over again. Yeah. Um, how about this value system? How does it sit with you? And yeah. It might sound right. really well, like it sits really nicely and it feels sure. comfortable, sure. but then it filters down and something becomes uncomfortable and restless yeah. in the Jewish soul, yeah. inevitably. You're right. And you know, it's like communism is going to do it. Maybe communism Maybe, is going to do it. Exactly. There were many Jews, and, and Jews will rush. Sure. There'll be a rush, and we'll be at the forefront of yeah. almost every movement ever Absolutely. which is why we're so loved and hated always exactly. at the same time <laughs> exactly because we're always right there in the front waving right. it even louder and and you know right. waving it even wilder than everyone else yeah which is yeah. super irritating i think to people yeah. around us right. in some ways because right. like we're, we're front center <laughs> in everything so we're the best communists and the most active communists and trotsky and all the rest of them right right and um and that value system sounded exciting and then it, yeah. it sits on us a little bit it filters down and nope we're uncomfortable and we're not and yeah. we're not and we're irritated and restless and it's not working. Right, right. And then we move on. And we can go through it. We try the Roman system. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't work. There's something that doesn't sit well in us because it's not true to our deepest essence. Right. And it doesn't sit well eventually, I think, with the culture around us because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is in some ways when we're detached from our value system, um, we're not... There's a part of us maybe that's not, how would I say it? It's not organic, that's not whole. Mm. And there's something, there's some dissonance. There's mm-hmm. a dissonance mm-hmm. in being, we project a certain dissonance. I don't know if I'm, be, I'm being very, um, I'm speaking in like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to put anyone down, sure. one, one no. group over another group, or, yeah. or say, okay, only the people who are religious are the ones. But I think that a Jewish person that's not living with his values, with the Jewish values mm-hmm. in their deepest mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. Um, there's some dissonance on a certain yeah. level. It's yeah. a personal dissonance. It's right. it's a community dissonance. Right. And and eventually you see it doesn't have a hold. If you're mm-hmm. missing, if you take the Jew away from his values, it doesn't have a hold. Mm-hmm. And it projects it projects a certain 
there's something because there, you're taking a human being out of his. It's like an Indian on the reservation. There's yeah. something out of the natural sure. environment, mm-hmm. and like you said, you visited, right? You yeah, visited sure. the reservations all over the country, and you, you yeah. sp- and you told me that there is a yeah. dissonance there that you see. It's sure. like seeing a beautiful, you know, a beautiful creature out of this environment. It's sure, almost sure, like sure. the same feeling you sure. get of going to a beautiful environment that all of a sudden you see them doing. You know, the trees when they rip them down, they ruined, yeah. yeah, they yeah. do like they're really right. they, they to the ground. I forgot the name of it when they do forcing and they yeah. and there's a, you get the immediate feeling that there's something here that's been destroyed, mm. that's out of place, that's yeah. not connected to where right. it's supposed to be. Right. No, I think you're right, and I do think that. Uh, Probably a lot of Jews feel that way because they they are uh, you know searching for things. They do have that. I think you know all Jews have that Jewish spark inside. That's why right. I say you know the only way we can measure that is when they say, "Are you proud to be Jewish?" And nine out of ten of them say, mm-hmm. "Of course." I mean that's the, you know one of the central things to my life. They might not be you know as we said they might not be observant most of right. them, and that's fine. You know it's always probably better. You know, if you have, if you get a little more Jewish literacy and then a little more Jewish literacy, I mean, that can never be bad. Sure. Right. Right. But the thing is that there's uh, at least something to build on because they already feel mm-hmm. they might not know anything, right? Except for that they feel Jewish. Exactly. And that's you know, and that's a that's a great place to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Talking yep. the topic of starting. Yeah. So that's a, <laughs> it's a it's a great conversation. Yeah. And we could definitely move on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopping back into Rabbi Blach over here, and I think we're going to actually get a little bit, he ties a little bit into what we're talking about. <clears throat> this section, this essay is called Bitzalmenu Kidmusenu, in our image, in our form, which is taken from a verse in Bereshis, in, in Genesis, that God created man in his image, in his form. Let us make man in our image and our form, which is like one of the most esoteric and yeah. the most mysterious, yeah. mystical verses. What what you know? What does that mean? Because then, all over the Torah, you'll see where God talks about that the whole, basically, the entire mission of the Jewish people is to get away from the idea of worshiping a human god or a right. a god, a physical right. god. Right. And God says, "Did you see any form at Sinai? You didn't see any form, right? Yeah. You know, you, and don't. Yeah. And then the whole thing, right? Nonstop battle, right?" And the very first thing, right when we hit it off the bat, it says, let us make man in our form, in our form right. also, which is even more, exactly. it throws you <laughs> off, right? So there's different ways to approach this. I mean, yeah. if you want to approach this from a modern, you know, biblical criticism, you'll have your way of going about, you know, someone will have their way of going about it. But yeah. but looking at it in a, in a whole way, looking at it in a way that takes the wholeness of the Torah into account and the mm. fullness of our tradition, where... You know, it's like anytime you're analyzing a text to me, it's very poor practice to analyze it in an isolated way. Mm. You have to do it in context of the full repertoire. If you're analyzing a painting, you know, from an artist's perspective, and you don't understand it in context of the artist's repertoire, you're not gonna you're not gonna appreciate it. You're not gonna appreciate sure. your portfolio. You sure. don't understand what Dylan did when all of a sudden he changed yeah. from his you know Dylan things and started doing like in the eighties all types of. Yeah. You don't appreciate it, like so. You're like, oh, he's an '80s guy. No, yeah. something strange happened here, and then you want to get into it. Why did he do that? Because you know who Dylan is. You know mm-hmm. from his fullness, and then obviously he was doing something for some reason. Right. Um, you got to look at the whole picture. Right. You got to look at the full picture. So we have a tradition that nonstop is, you know, is just nonstop smashing against this idea of um, idol worship and against mm-hmm. the idea of a physical. Uh, and you have, you know, Abraham, and that's what he's famous for, not being the one to worship the idols. Right. 
Uh, but then you start off and you say this idea of let us let us, and we also have the idea of the singular God, Hashem yeah. Echad, most mm-hmm. famous verse in the Torah, exactly. you know, one of the most famous ones. And then God says, let us. So again, so if you take it in an isolated way, you'll say, oh, okay, um, maybe Jewish belief is not, or Jewish belief evolved, and whatnot. But if you look at it to me in an organic way, in the fullness of it, uh, I think it could be very inspirational and. And you know that's to me that's where the truth is. The truth yeah. is looking at something as a whole, not looking at it in small parts. Right. So then the question becomes: So what was it all about? What was the point of saying that? Mm-hmm. Let us make man in our image, in our form, um, and he's going to rule over creation. Mm-hmm. What was that about? So, so Rabbi Bloch says, "Tenu Another verse in Tehillim and Psalms says, "Let us give strength to God." Mm-hmm. Give strength to God. That's a very strange statement. A human being is going to give strange strength to God. So the question is, um, he starts off from another another perspective to answer these questions. In the Parsha of Yishlach, it says, Timna, there was a woman whose name was Timna, and she was a Pilegesh for Eliphaz, the son of Esav. So Esav, right, going mm-hmm. back, you mm-hmm. have, you know, mm-hmm. Yaakov and Esav. You have Yaakov and Esav. These are the famous. Um, so Yaakov was a forefather, and Esav was his brother. So mm-hmm. the evil, yeah. right? The evil twin, mm-hmm. and um, and he had Esav had a son, Eliphaz, and he married this woman, or he took a woman as uh, Pelegish. I'm not sure what the English. It's not exactly a formal wife, but yeah. Yeah. sort of like a half wife type of thing, mm-hmm. which they had in those times. Um, he took this woman, Timna. That was her name, and the pasuk and the, the verse says that out. So Rashi, one of the great commentators, explains. Why did the Torah point out who Eliphaz took as a wife? Who really right. cares? Why yeah. do we care yeah. who he took as a right. wife? It's not just listing everybody. It's hard to get into the this Torah. This is not a, not a major character. Right, definitely yeah. not even. Not, you know, not even a minor character. So he says the reason was, Rashi explains, and this is based on our tradition, to show the greatness of Abraham, mm-hmm. how, how desperate and how deeply the people around him wanted to connect to his family. This Timna... Who was she? She was actually the daughter of a prince, at the, mm. of, of a king at the mm-hmm. time. She came from a very, very important family. As it says, um, and the sister of Lotan was Timna. Mm-hmm. And Lotan uh, was from the kings and the princes of Seir. So he was a really important guy. And she said, this woman, she said, well, listen, I can't, I'm not going to get into the family, into the Abraham family, because they don't marry into that, into the Kanani family. But I do have this grandson, Eliphaz. Yeah. I'll get, you know, let me hook up with Eliphaz, and at least I'm somewhere in the family. I'm somewhere connected. And therefore, the Torah mentions, the whole point of mentioning that Timna was married to Eliphaz was really to show the greatness of Abraham, um, how well he respected he was among his peers and how deeply they wanted to connect to the Abrahamic culture sure. and family. So Rabbi Bloch says this is a really wondrous thing to think about. What What is the greatness that this Timna, she wanted to connect to the children of Abraham, that the Torah actually spends time to, to point that out? You know, it, it sounds a little bit almost crass or like, really, wow, we're so great and everyone wanted to connect to us. Why is that so important? Mm-hmm. Do uh, you think it would take away from Abraham's, you know, respect the fact that the culture around him, which was so, you know, deep into idol worship and a corrupt, uh, vulgar culture, that they didn't appreciate him? Would anyone care that Timna didn't understand how important Abraham was? That, you know, Abraham needed the social approval? It's important for us to point out that Abraham was socially approved, and therefore God wants to tell us and, and reveal to us as children 
um, that even Timna, who came from the most vulgar, corrupt culture, uh, respected Abraham. What's what's mm-hmm. the message here? There has to be a deeper message. Now, even if you'll say, maybe there is some purpose in it uh, to know that the people around Abraham appreciated him and his children, because it still it shows us that Abraham, you know, it shows us that that we were we had something of value. It shows us that we were appreciated. Um, still, it says it already many times in the Torah that Abraham was appreciated and Isaac was appreciated. You see that the king of Plishtim, Avimelech, he went to greet them. He brought out wine and, and bread. So it's clear if you follow the Torah, it says that he blessed Abraham. He said, you are blessed to the highest king. Um, even the children of Ches, it says, you are a prince of God among us. There are many times the Torah makes it clear that Abraham was considered, you know, maybe in the beginning they wanted to kill him, right. but then people got an appreciation for it, what he was accomplishing. And our rabbis... Uh, um, talk about this as well, that they actually made Abraham into a sort of king. Uh, they were super impressed with him. So what is this added point that not only were the people around him making him into a king, but you see that the daughters of princes were finagling. You know what they're yeah, finagling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were finagling to try yeah. to get in, to try to get in somehow, mm-hmm. to get into the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and even greater than this, our rabbis have already, um, we have a tradition, Jewish tradition, that Hagar, so Hagar was mm-hmm. Abraham's second wife, right? He married Sarah, Sarah, yep. and then lesser known is that he had another wife, Hagar. Um, question exactly who she was. So the rabbis explained that she was the daughter of Paro. Mm-hmm. And when she saw the miracles that happened to Sarah, she said, I would rather be a maidservant in Abraham's house uh, rather than a princess, rather than an Egyptian princess, so she, and which is also interesting because Abraham and Egypt seem to have a tie, right? Isn't it interesting that Abraham was um, married to they they call it like a mechutin, you know? So he yeah. was married to the daughter of Paro, yeah. who later on would have a lot of history with his children, absolutely, right? All absolutely. in the family. It's a, it's an angle which is not spoken about so no, much. We're getting true. close to the Passover. It's, it's an interesting angle to think about. Well, it's amazing too because I yeah. I didn't think of it until just now, but. Okay. You know, you mention Abraham, and you know, I mean, we know, like, you know, because we learn that uh, that Hagar is Egyptian and is a princess. So he's already got when he comes to Egypt. I mean, think about you know, I, I, this is the thought that occurred to me. Okay. I never thought about it before, but if you were to go to like, um, if you and I were to go to, I don't know, pick a country, if we were going to go to England, right? Um, we're not going to get off the plane of England and be able to go right and see the Queen. Sure, she doesn't right. know who we are. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Right, but uh, Abraham is able to go to Egypt, and the first uh, thing he's, is that he's, already he's already there right there with Pharaoh because he's traveling with Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, you say with her daughter, right? I hear you. So <laughs> you know, that's an interesting take. On it. The question is chronologically. I have to think about what happened first and yeah. second. If that because Hagar Hagar came. Maybe later. Maybe later. Yeah, Maybe I have later. to double check be, that. Yeah, I have to double check that. You're right. Because right. officially, in the, in the Torah itself, yeah. right. officially, the reason why he managed to get there is because his well, wife was, Sarah so beautiful. was so beautiful. Right. Sarah there was, was sort so of a system, I think, of people coming in. That was right. one of the checked at the border. Yeah. But look, right. you know, yeah, it's funny. I just, uh, you know. No, I hear what you're saying. You have to see. But there's definitely yeah. connections there. Because if I go to Spain, for instance, you know, and I think my wife is very beautiful, of course she is, but the king of Spain's not going to call us up. So you're saying there was more of a there were connections there. Yeah, I think there's there is an idea. Yeah, I have to research that for sure. But there definitely is the idea, you know, that Abraham's name had went out in 
people had heard of him. This was a phenomenon. It wasn't. It was something very unique at the time, and people had a lot of respect for it, sure. which is also a lesson Absolutely. to learn from. Because initially, um, initially people they wanted to kill him, right. right? But then eventually, if you stick to your values, you have respect. And there is a, an idea in Jewish tradition that our forefathers are microcosms mm-hmm. of our nation as a whole, especially sure. Abraham, who sure. is the number one, for right, sure. going all the way back, and yeah. his life parallels the life of our nation throughout history mm-hmm. yeah. and our personal lives. Yeah. So there's right. always that, those, those levels of reflection. And we're talking about the idea of uh, the identity of the Jewish people and how they preserve that identity. If we mm-hmm. want to study that, a good place to start would be to understand Abraham's relationships to his culture around him and right. how he preserved how he preserved his values in the face of tremendous uh, tests. Very difficult test on a personal level and on a, um, you know, on a level of, of establishing a nation. So uh, that's quite interesting that there was, you know, there was, uh, because one of the ways of preserving a culture is by being separate from a culture, mm-hmm. being living yeah. in a culture and being separate from right. it at the same time. Exactly. And Abraham had, um, you have to think about that because on, on one hand, Abraham was very involved with the culture around him. His dad was, was well. making. His dad was uh, right. Was making. Was an expert from, on all these on uh, the idols. idols. He had to make them for all these guys. Sure. Right. Yeah. So he was an expert, and he did come from that culture. Uh, you see over here that he attracted the culture around him, respected him, and there was outreach that he did also. To all his tent was open. There were people of all different right. faiths and things coming in. He ran out to go greet the. Angels, when they were dressed like um, Arabs, he had no idea yeah. who they were, and he yeah. brought them into his tent. So Abraham definitely did interface with the culture around him quite sure. a bit. Uh, it wasn't this idea, like later on, you'll have that, the Jewish idea of a scholar sitting in his room, yeah. studying, yeah. and that becomes the ultimate vision of what a Jew, and that's a Jewish person in Gullis today. But um, Abraham was out and about, there's no question about yeah. it. Yeah. And he was still preserving and, and really uh, defining an identity, creating an identity. So it's interesting. We'll think about when we're trying to pinpoint, articulate you know, the core value of what allows a Jewish person to retain an identity. Let's keep Abraham in mind as we go through For this. For sure. And okay. people saw something special about him, so they wanted to... Right. And they respected him. That's yeah. what I find interesting, yeah. too. In other words, when you're in touch with your values, you command respect. And the opposite is true. When you're dissonant, when you're out of touch with your values... Uh, it's it's just detected immediately. There's no, yeah. way no way to hide it. Okay, so basically, what Rabbi Bloch is saying that um, the daughter of Paro wanted to marry into Abraham. So we mm-hmm. sort of know this point already. It's been sp- mentioned a lot of times that the people around them, the cultures around them, respected and and saw something unique here. Why do we have to point out that Timna wanted to marry in? Um, mm. And also, it happens to be that. We know that Timna, from our traditions, did not come from a very nice family. Right. It was more of a very, you know, subculture at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who cares that she she appreciated Abraham and wanted to marry into in this particular way? Uh, so that's these are questions to think about. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to another topic, which is his way. He starts off with a question and then says, "Let's get into some ideas." And from the ideas, the the answer will come out. We find. In our prayers, in the language of our Jewish prayer, traditional prayer, we say, We ask God 
perform, do things that we need, do, you know, perform in this world for the sake of your name, for your sake and not for our sake. We ask God to do things for his own sake, for mm-hmm. for for the name of God. What does that mean, the name of God? To we, we want the name of God to be known in this world and to be respected in this right. world. Right. His reputation. Mm-hmm. And Moshe Rabbeinu in his prayer also said, why should the Egyptians say that, look what happened, you took them out into Egypt, just to, you took them out into the desert just to kill them. Think how, what a desecration of the divine mission that is, that people are going to say, um, he couldn't do it, God couldn't, couldn't get, finish the deal. Uh, that, that the Egyptians are going to hear, they're going to say, ah, Jewish God, he, couldn't, he got halfway there, but he couldn't make it. Yeah. And many times Moshe uses this line of reasoning with God as a bargaining chip. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is his leverage. Yeah. He says to God, really, you want to get rid of the Jewish people? You want to start again? Yeah. What are people going to say? Right. It's, like, it's almost like a Jewish mother yeah, thing. Exactly. You think of that, what, that, what exactly. are people going to say? What are the, yeah. what are the neighbors going to say? <laughs> right. It sounds so petty. You've got to think about it. But it's right. You have to think it through. Right. What's everyone going to say? You couldn't. Right. God cares what people... So... Um, and later on in the Torah, many times in the Torah, you have this idea that that there's an idea that a, a person prays to God and says, "We know it's in everyone's best interest that mm-hmm. that your name not be desecrated. So so um, help us out." It's very hard to understand this because that's the ultimate mission, right? Is that the world should know God's name? I mean, to okay. put it in a to put it in a very shorthand way, right? Okay, it's not a. It's that's the, you know. Yes, it's about the Jews. Yes, it's about Abraham, right? But it's ultimately it's about it's about God, and the Jews are the ones bringing this message, right? Okay, but why do we have to remind God of that? Like we have to bring that up. What does it help for us? To, he's well, we're. It's probably. a good question. I mean, I I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, okay, you know, right off the bat. But I mean, mm-hmm. but it's funny. I mean, I guess you could. My first reaction is you could say, well, listen. God is powerful enough that God could just, you know, uh, um, so to speak, snap his fingers and make people believe in him. And that, but that's not the point, right? People right. have to come to that on their exactly, you know, right. It's the, right. Yeah, otherwise there would be no point in the whole yeah, exercise. Exactly. So that's really what Rabbi Bloch is getting at. He's like, what's the point of us reminding God? Like God is well aware of the consequences, you know, of what would happen if, let's say, you know. It, to put this in modern day terms, if someone was praying during the Holocaust and he would use such an argument, he would say, mm-hmm. think about the desecration of the, of the divine name. People yeah. are saying, you see, the Jewish people are, are despised by God, just the opposite. Right, exactly. And we would use that as a prayer, as an argument to God. But God was obviously well aware of that. And whatever calculations he had, he's doing it. Yeah. So yeah. what's the argument and why are we making that argument? That's what mm-hmm. Rebbe wants yeah. to know. So he yeah. has an agenda here, obviously. He wants to get it. Let's see mm-hmm. what he wants. Yes, yes. Um, and he says, really, this, this question could trigger a larger question, which is what's the point of prayer in general? What's the point? And many have spoken and asked about this. We can't change God's will. We can't bargain with God. Right. We're bargaining. That's what it is. We're bargaining. We're begging. We're pleading. We're like, you know, we're trying to convince God that, you know what, don't, you know, don't do this, don't uh, either take away this problem, because it's not, it's not, you know, I don't it, what are we doing? What's the point of the whole exercise? But we have to understand, he says, that this is the way the world was set up, and Rabbi Bach always comes at things from a spiritual science perspective, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting, but him, everything is systematic, spiritual science. This is the way the world was set, that according to a person's condition, 
and according to the extent that he recognizes God's greatness and is in touch with it and leans on it, to that extent God's blessing flows into him and into his surroundings. There's actually, it's an action and reaction. It's almost like a spiritual formula Mm -hmm. that to the extent that you lean into God, that's the extent that he leans back. That's the natural way that God set up creation. Therefore, when a person arouses himself through prayer and he becomes more in touch with this idea that he's reliant on God and he's connected to God um, and he feels that he's in God's hands and that's where his solution is going to come from, uh, through that, naturally, he makes greater the the chesed of God, God's um, chesed, grace, the grace, grace of God, loving kindness, right. right, yeah, right, and he arouses these these shefa is like channels or these influences of blessing into his life. So it comes out that the change really happens in us. We're not convincing God to change. God doesn't change. The change happens in us. When we come more in touch with our connection to God, that makes us spiritually closer. And the closer we get spiritually, the more in touch we are with God's blessings. And therefore, there is actually a reaction that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we can understand the point of prayer. We are trying to to say to God, um, have mercy on us, pity us, because we want to arouse in ourselves the relationship. And when we're in touch, we're in that zone of relationship, that's also where the zone of blessing happens. Mm-hmm. That's the natural state. That's the natural formula, like A plus B, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Mm-hmm. That's the mathematical spiritual formula of the way God set up the world. That when right. a human being is in touch with him and close to him, um, he can get spiritual sustenance and he can get spiritual inspiration. Now, the reality is that this definitely is not like um, you know ordering something in the mail. You could say, well, I, I felt very in touch with God. I was super in touch, but look what happened. I didn't see any change at all. The situation hasn't changed. Yeah. So it doesn't work that way. That's true. But on some level, on a deeper level, there are blessings that connect to a person. And, and there's a lot to think about that. You know, It's not like a Santa Claus thing where we give God a list and we say, now I feel close, close to you, so I would like a new car. I need a new you know, a new house, yeah. and I need... It doesn't work like that. Right. Um, I think... And that's a good question. What do you think about that? Why... So, how, you know, Rabbi Bloch, he's answered part of the problem. I think part of the problem is, what's the point of, of prayer at all? Mm. That's question number one. Mm. And the second question is, does prayer work? Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. first part, you've answered the first part. The point of prayer is for a person to access a spiritual state where he's more in touch with reality, right. a spiritual reality, and... When you're more in touch with reality, you become more spiritual. Your life becomes more spiritual, and you begin to feel the benefits of spiritual blessing. The second question is, does it work? We don't see a clear connection between what we ask for and what happens. We definitely don't see it clearly on a daily basis. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, to me, I think it's, uh, you know, I. it's hard to know, like, what's really... You know, from my perspective as a little guy in a room somewhere, um, it's hard to know, like, what's happening with God. And as Rabbi Bloch says, um, you know, it's having some... It's What you're doing is going to cause God to somehow change. I mean, you know, that's not the the point, maybe. I mean, I, 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 I'm so far removed from that, it's hard for me to even... 
I shouldn't even maybe be worrying about that. I should be worrying about, okay, how is this going to help me change and get better? I mean, if I'm, um, if I come to Minion or if I'm, you know, by myself, uh, doing tefillah, I, it's a, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I, one, one of the things that I do, um, I don't mean to talk about myself here, but it's, it's, uh, but it, it it maybe helps answer this question a little bit for for me. So I might go, you know, if I can't make it to a minion, my kids are already at school. I'll you know lay to fill in on my own in my room away. Nobody can see me. I'm private. If I'm traveling with my kids, if my kids are around, or if it's um, you know like a Sunday or something. Um, I'll do it in front of them so that they can see. Um, so, you know, even if it's not for God, even if it's not for me, at least in that situation, my kids grow up with the idea, oh, this is something that, uh, this is something that, that our father does, right? This is important because he's, he's doing this. And hopefully, you know, so that's one aspect of it, I guess. But on a personal aspect, it's, you know, um, to help me sort of uh, reconnect with the way that I'm supposed to be living my life. And hopefully the change is ultimately, I think, supposed to come in me. Right. right. That's what Rabbi Bach is saying. Also echoing that sentiment. Right. Exactly. That ultimately the change in tefillah happens in a person himself. Right. And uh, I think part of thinking about that is that change, is that change really where the answer is in mm-hmm. terms of does tefillah work? Yeah, because then the question becomes, you know, what is good and what is bad. These right. questions are all tied to each other, and we look at uh, we look at challenges in life at a, as a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. good to go through hard challenges. Sure. Right? We, it's suffering. We try to avoid it mm-hmm. at all costs. Mm-hmm. Difficult to go through physical suffering, financial, emotional. Um, but the truth is that that's where we grow. That's yeah. where we have our growth. Yeah. You know, it's very, right. very hard to grow mm-hmm. when you're not up faced with challenge. For sure. A human being just is going to stay at the same level. You're right. not going to get pushed out of your comfort zone right. uh, by yourself. Very yeah. hard. Uh, so when we connect in tefillah, the question to me is, are we looking for results or are we looking for context? For to, Are we looking to get meaning into what we're going through. Yeah. So, uh, because everything is very relative. We say to God, you know, I'm struggling, let's say, financially. Yeah. Um, okay, so we pray and we connect to God and we say, I understand God, you know, you're the source of, of, of blessing in this world. You could, tomorrow, things could change. And I know that, and I do my part, and I work hard, right? But we say to God, I recognize that. And we really get to a place where we really recognize that and now maybe we don't have necessarily more money in our bank account when we you know, finish praying. It didn't mm-hmm. all of a sudden magically appear. Yeah. Um, but we now have meaning and context to our challenge. And maybe now the challenge begins to change mm-hmm. because we've grown. This is where our growth is happening. And, and when we have a different, when, when the challenge gets a different context than meaning, I think that's where blessing begins to come in because mm-hmm. first of all, practically, you're... you're you're attracting certain energy or vibe, you know, with your, you're, you're in a different place now and you're able to attract different energies, different vibes, different opportunities, mm-hmm. which is maybe the idea of Shefa, of getting this, this, you know, blessing. 
And the challenge as a whole has, has a different context. It's not suffering anymore. This is, this is something which is connecting you to God. So there's really two things that happen. One is practically you're, you're becoming a different energy. You're gaining mm-hmm. a different energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that you know, attracts the positive things in, in, in spiritual blessing. And second of all, you also have a different context. And I really like what you said about the idea that prayer, we very often look at it as a zero-sum game. Uh, if I didn't have concentration, if I didn't get to this real spiritual state, then my prayer failed. And what did I do? I didn't really come. But it's not true because prayer is also commitment, yeah. showing the commitment, yeah. and identity, the thing right. we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So there's really three things that I see in prayer. You're accomplishing the commitment. I have a daily meeting with God, you know, and sometimes the conversation goes well. Sometimes I really feel it. Right. Yeah. But I'm there. I showed up. You know, yeah. it's like having a, a lunch date or something with a spouse or something. And, you know, sometimes everything, sometimes your head is so filled with things. This is reality. You know, we're human beings. Sometimes you could have a really deep connecting conversation, um, but part of it is: Did you show up? You yeah. showed up. You know, exactly. you did. Your, you 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 showed up and you just spoke. That's a huge part of it. Okay, so the first step is understanding. He said that we change when we pray, not God. We're right. not asking God to change. Right. But now we have a unique prayer. We're saying to God, "It's not worth it for you to do this because your name is becoming desecrated." What right. are the nations going to say? What are the nations? Say? That's really unique, because that seems to be a God calculation. And what does it help us to mention such a thing? So we understand it helps me to mention that God, please give me parnasa, give me mm-hmm. my, my daily bread. God, please give me healing. That I understand because I'm connecting to God, I'm recognizing God's influence in my life and that brings me to a, um, you know, brings the energy and it brings me to a certain place. But what does it help me to mention to God that your reputation is at stake here? Um, Either it's worth it for God or it's not worth it. It's not really going to help to mention that. Uh, okay, that's his question. However, he says, the only reason we find this strange and we find the idea of talking to God is about, about his reputation to be strange is because we only feel the effects of prayer in our own souls, in our personal lives. But the truth is that a human being has an effect on much, much more. The truth is all the worlds, the entire universe, the galaxies, everyone in the world, with all the different details of it, are very deeply tied to a human soul. Human soul is the key to the universe. This is a very, very deep and very important concept in Judaism. Mm-hmm. The world was created before, because of me. And based on the condition of our soul, many, many things in all different Influence. We're like if you drop a pebble in a pond, yeah. you have ripples that go all exactly. over. But a human soul is like that. Whatever we're feeling, we are radiating influences throughout the universe in, in, the, in every possible detail. So we have to understand that when we're praying and we're connecting to God, there's a mm-hmm. lot more at stake here and a lot more that's happening here in this yeah. relationship. This is not just a personal interaction. This is an interaction that has universal, massive consequences. The thing that occurred to me right then... Um because we were talking about Abraham, you think about the, you say every person has this influence, right? She goes just beyond, just beyond me, right? Okay. And we were talking about Abraham and the, and the uh, phrase that uh, the passage that popped into my mind is, you know, and they took with them all the souls that they had created in Haram. Ah, exactly. Right? Right. That he had literally created souls. Created souls. Right. Right. I mean, 
that's a whole other exploration of what does that even mean. Exactly. But the point is, is that right. it goes just beyond Abraham. Whatever he was doing, him. whatever he and Sarai were doing, it goes beyond just yeah. them. Yeah, that was something that was happening. That was happening. You know, that was happening. Consequences throughout history, throughout mm-hmm. the universe, and, and we see it to today, right, in a very physical sense. So he says, therefore, every time a person has something, some inspiration inside of you, uh, there's a parallel inspiration throughout all the worlds, throughout the entire universe. The entire universe is feeling some of that harmonics. There's vibrations that are happening throughout the universe. If it's a good thing, if it's a good inspiration, the entire world is getting filled with Mm -hmm. life and and blessing from it. Um, And the side of holiness is, is going up. And if God forbid it's the other way around, the other thing can happen as well. Everything is rising and falling based on the music that's coming out of the human soul and has a connection to God. So we have to understand that to understand what prayer is all about. Much bigger than just a personal thing. Uh, and And that's true when it comes to prayer. When a person has inspiration in prayer and, and gets in touch with God and, and pleased with God and gets really close to the idea, that feeling becomes aroused in the entire world. The entire universe feels his pain. Wow, beautiful poetry, mm. the words here. Mm. Mm. Um, and therefore, there's, there's The entire feelings. universe feels his pain. Yeah, that's his words in here. Chol habria margeshes betsairi. The mm. entire creation feels his pain. The creation is actually feeling your pain. So it's a very beautiful idea. Mm. And there's great wellsprings of mercy in creation itself, which are empathizing with him. Yeah. The stars are empathizing with you, and, and the, the, the trees, the creation is empathizing with you. Isn't that amazing? Now, because yeah. somebody in that much pain, they could feel a lot of times, especially if somebody's depressed or something, that, God forbid, they have some you know, psychological trauma, emotional, whatever. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, they can say, I'm completely alone. Right. And what Rabbi Bloch is saying here right. is that's, that's the, the moment right. probably when you're the least alone. You're the least alone. It's <laughs> the least alone. That's very beautiful. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make a note of that one. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a real uh, paradigm-changing way of, of understanding things. That uh, the idea that the entire universe feels your pain and, and is empathizing with you, um, we have to understand what that means. And there are wellsprings of empathy and, and care that are there waiting to connect with you. And, sin, and even though he says it's true that each person individually, as he goes through his life and connects with things, uh, he has influences on the Bria, on the entire creation, for good or bad. But especially, he has special influence relative to the, the idea of channels of blessing from God, one way or another, uh, to him himself. So, because that's where he's most deeply connected. So you have two influences. First of all, by connecting to God, you do influence your own life. You also influence the the universe around you, and you connect with the universe around you by connecting to God. And when a person goes through something bad or something hard, it's just interesting. Maybe I'll end with this, because I was talking about this week. um, So I teach science twice a week and and current events. And uh, we talked about this image they captured of a black hole. Did yeah. you see the image? Yeah, sure. yeah in the newspaper? Sure. Yeah. So they've been talking about it, and it's a phenomenal image, very um, like shocking, almost something metaphysical oh, that yeah. just popped up to the front yeah. page of a, of a real newspaper. I love that, that stuff. Uh-huh, yeah, just, <laughs> right, it, it changes your, oh, yeah. your head a little bit. Mm-hmm. It took a picture of a black hole, and we're just looking at it, and we're like, this thing, alleged, you know, it has billions of times more power than the sun. 
Yeah. Supposedly billions of times more power, you know, whatever that means. And then there's this point of no return. There's the horizon, they yeah. call the horizon or something. Yeah, the, the event horizon. The event yeah. horizon. Yeah. Like all types of wacky things going on there. And, and like the normal rules of physics start to get all wacky as you get. Right. You yeah. know, deeper inside of it, and it's time. Millions. Time runs at a different rate, right. and everything. All types of, of strange stuff are happening, and the question I was thinking about, you know, to discuss a little bit is that why is this in the universe? Like, why? Yeah. God didn't have to create <laughs> such a big universe, right? Like, what? Did, isn't it yeah. amazing? Like, it didn't have to be so big. It could have been sure. basically Earth, the Moon, the Sun, our galaxy. Fine. That would have been more than Fine. enough, right? As far yeah. as we're concerned, right. how much? You know, what effect does this have? That there's these elaborate worlds, and they're actually real. This is not like right. you know science fiction. It's a real. Right. There's actually something out there that's billions and zillions of times the size of us. And yeah. if you want to go with the the route that things are random and and chaotic and no, so that's fine. <laughs> go with your route. But if you believe that there's a meaning to here, then why did God have to create such a massive, massive? We're, we're not even specs, you know, when you think about it. And part of it, I think, is what Rabbi Bloch is saying because we have to be in touch with ourselves and the significance of our lives that we have an influence on everything on the universe mm-hmm. on the entire you know we're, we're, we live in a very very big world I think that's the message of Judaism and we have to integrate that perspective into our daily life we can't get caught up in the little parts of our life because then we struggle and we don't have meaning but if we understand that the world is very very big and and we have an influence on that entire world and um and the God and God tells us, it was worth it for me to create all of this just for you. Every human being has to go around with this thought. It was worth it for God to create this entire thing with black holes and galaxies and stars and who knows what. It was worth it just so you should have a chance to wake up this morning, go through your day, smile at your neighbor, do the things you have to do, try to connect, do your you know your chari- do do whatever it is. It was worth it. It was worth it for that, and that's. Um, that's the point of the black hole. The point of the black hole is just part to me, part of that message. It was where there's amazing and, and like don't live a small world, don't live a small life right. and understand that there's something, there's a point to your life, there's a point to, to what you're going through. Um, that was just one of the thoughts I had about this uh, this black hole, really remarkable It's idea. amazing because like when you think about it and I think this is like a Jewish answer to that, it's, I, I think it's what you're saying is um, if you look out at the universe and okay. you see this, I saw something that this black hole was like the the diameter of it or whatever okay. was like the same as from the center of our sun to like the the uh, the orbit of Neptune. Wow! I mean, it's like it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's, it's, it's you enormous. Can't even get your head around it. And yeah. then you look at the whole um, universe, and it's enormous. And you think. Right. And you think I'm here on this little planet, um, and maybe the world is, you know, almost six thousand years old, right. and maybe the world is twelve billion years old. Either way, right. I'm here. If I'm lucky, I'm here maybe 120 years. Right, <laughs> right. very know, lucky. If I'm yeah. super lucky, right. And I'm a little guy on a little planet. Right. Um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, right. have a have a limb, right? Exactly. And then, but on the other hand, you know, when you realize the impact that everything you do really has on the fabric of of the universe and the cosmos yes it's hevel hevelim but also the world was created for for the sake of this one and um it's 
it's an incredible tension between uh, those two concepts. So interesting. And we mm. live in that tension, right? Right. Our lives are completely, we are so small and so insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and yet the universe depends on us. Right. Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you definitely have that. And Abraham said, I am, you know, dust. Right. But at the same time, he knew that he was founding a nation. So you have to be able to have to integrate both of those ideas. Like you said, first of all, understand that you're not God. Right. Like the message of the universe is number one. You're not, you're not even close to you're God. Not you're not even, even You're like a f- you're, you're you're ba- ba- right. barely a flea. Right. You're barely a flea. Right. <laughs> in the best case scenario. Right. Flea in best case scenario. That's number one. And on the other hand, you're a very important flea because this entire thing hangs on you. I, God said, I made this entire thing and it's now hanging on on you. And and the question to me I have more you know, is how do we really connect? What what does that mean? What's our relationship? Because it's easy to say these things and they've been heard before. We affect the universe. The universe was made for us. But what does that really mean in our daily life? What does that mean in our inner life to understand, to integrate that idea? Like they, they, they're cliches on some level. They sound like, how do we really integrate that into the way we think and feel and act with others? And, um, and how does that, you know, what is that? What's that connection? What connection do I have to this black hole? I heard of it. I saw it on the on the New, in the New York Times. Um, but do I live my life with a sense of that? Do I live my life with an awareness, maybe, or 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 a, you know, a connection, a connection to some of those things? Uh, so a lot of that has to do with prayer, and I think the journey of prayer is to reconnect to a lot of these ideas. We go through it in the morning. We say, "Praise God, all the heavens, the earth, the skies." I think part of prayer is expanding, getting an expansiveness and connecting to the universe, connecting ourselves to a lot of the foundational um, identity, identity things, you know, kind of reconnecting, recalibrating. It's a recalibration of our soul to our identity and to the to the things we're supposed to see and feel. So when right. you pray yeah, in sure. the morning, I mean, is that like, to go back to the question that you asked me a little while ago, so now we're going to pray in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then so much of what we see in tefillah, you know, is about the greatness of God. Right. You know, you could say like, uh, you know, I mean, to, to put it in its most basic, understandable terms, God is so much bigger than, you know, we're so insignificant and whatever. Mm-hmm. And to, and yet there are certain things expected of me mm-hmm. that I have to do. So, you know, as you're as you're there standing, let's say before, you know, the throne, <laughs> right? You see the king, or you imagine the king, and I mean, I'm nothing compared to the. I'm like less than nothing compared to right. the king, and yet the king has a kind of a Invested wants a lot. me to do something, right? <laughs> right. right. And you have to do that over and over again every day. To so is that like your? Um, when you go through that okay. practice every day, sure, right, you know, a couple times a day, um, and it reminds you of all of that and that tension we talked about uh, between being so insignificant and being so important, right, right. Do I feel that tension? Is yeah, that what you're saying? I mean, and we don't What's maybe feel it every experience? day, but you get, but you right. remind yourself of it all, right. constantly, right, by going by doing tefillah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think there's part of that. And, and part of that, to me, you know, on a personal level, I think a lot of prayer is about making God real for me. Yeah, for sure. And understanding that as a real relationship. That's the, Those are the times when one prays on a deeper level. The same, like you said, doesn't happen every day, and it's a challenge. Um, 
but it's the time when God becomes the most real. Mm. In, in other words, if you close your eyes during Shemun Esrei, uh, you sense God's presence in the most tangible, so to speak, uh, experience. That's the way I see it. And during the High Holy Days, maybe even in a more in a in a more in a deeper way. Um, and someone once told me something. Maybe I'll end with this. Really interesting. A, a grandson of Rabbi Schwab, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who was a student of you know the Yakis and Rabbi Hirsch. So this is Rabbi Hirsch's tradition. Um, so this grandson asked his grandfather, this great Torah sage. He said, "How should I think of God? How should I think of him? How do I mm-hmm, picture? You can't mm-hmm. picture him. What do I think?" So he said, "Think of God as a secret admirer." Yeah, that's the way. That's the relationship <laughs> you're supposed to have. He's a secret admirer, right. and he's sending you. He lo- he's your biggest fan. Yeah, he's your biggest fan. Right, and he's rooting for you. He is rooting for you like no one has ever rooted for you sure. before. Sure. But he's a secret admirer. He's yeah. like I said, that's the way. That's the relationship. It was such an interesting idea to me. You never see him, idea. but uh, he right. sen- he sends you a little message once right. in a while. Right, and if he's you're, rooting if you're for paying you. attention. <laughs> right, right. But that idea of God, I think, is really important to to. As we go through life and we start off as children, and maybe we have a you know childlike understanding of God, and you know God is, and maybe as we get older, a lot of times I think we take the imagery of our parents and project that into God. God is my father, you know. God is my mother, and if relationships I had with them, we project into our relationship with God. But then as you get through life deeper, it's supposed to evolve as well. Sure. Okay. Great weekend. Great session. Very and good. looking forward to the next one. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time.